Hello, and welcome to the Albuquerque Three Angels SDA Church Sabbath School Podcast, presented from the Three Angels Studio right here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And this week, we're going to be going over the lesson titled Waging Peace. And this is lesson 13. 13. Yeah. So we are almost finished with this quarter's Sabbath School lesson, and it's been very informative. Um, it's definitely broken down a lot of what Ephesians is talking about, and I've found it to be very educational because I haven't really read too much of Ephesians except for, you know, those key uh, verses that everybody seems to know. Um, but today we are definitely going to be looking at something a little bit more as last week we were talking about what it means to be a soldier of God and to prepare yourself for the upcoming battle, spiritual battle against evil. We're now going to be looking at something that I really, really liked. And this is something I have done a sermon on as we talked about last week it is the armor part of God. And this is this is going to be a really good lesson. But before we go and jump into it, my name is Nick. I'm joined by Robert. And Jessica Noah. And thank you guys for being here. Um, I hope the listeners today get something out of this. But again, as I said, before we get into the lesson, um, Robert, would you like to go ahead and open a prayer? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, as always... We want to seek your your wisdom and your guidance and your knowledge before we open your word that we may be enlightened. We ask that the Holy Spirit will facilitate this lesson, That for we are all your students. We ask that uh, it will be edifying not only to us but the, our listeners and that we all may be able to take what we learn and share it with somebody that is searching for your truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Let's go ahead and read the memory text for today. And the memory text says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So I'm going to go ahead and read the opening part of this because it is very... I, I love these. I know I keep saying that, but the very first part of the lesson is always very informative. Well, it's Pilgrim's Progress, I, t- I talk about it fairly regularly also. <laughs> so you're, you're an expert is what you're saying. <laughs> no. <laughs> so it says, in John Bunyan's devotional classic, The Pilgrim's Progress, written while he was in jail, Christian is escorted into a palace armory and shown all manager, manner of furniture, weaponry, which their lord had provided for pilgrims as sword, shield, helmet, breastplate, all prayer, and shoes that would not wear out. And there was here enough of this to harness, fit, out of out as many men for the service of the Lord as there be stars in the heaven f- for multitude. Before Christian departs, he is again escorted into the armory where they harnessed, fitted him for, from head to toe, with what was of proof, impenetrable, lest perhaps we should meet with assaults in the way. Man, that was a tongue twister almost. <laughs> Bunyan's writing in 1678 recalls a document written some 1600 years earlier by the Apostle Paul. The epistle of the Ephesians to the Ephesians, also composed in prison, in it, the great missionary apostle imagines a great army, the church visiting God's armory and suiting up in the divine panoplia, the Greek term for full head-to-toe armor. God's armory holds enough of the finest weaponry 
where every soldier in his army be clad with northern steel from top to toe, as they set forth to wage peace in his name. Now, as the title for this week's lesson, Waging Peace, sounds a little contra- sounds a little different than what most people would hear. It's usually we're waging war. Well, I, in combining the two, I mean, we've all heard the saying, if you want peace, prepare for war, you know, because um, usually if you stand prepared, everybody's like, yeah, no, (laughs) (laughs) we're not. But uh, it's waging war. In order, I would say that nobody appreciates peace more than those that have fought to obtain it. Oh, I agree on that. Um, it it kind of also, you know, reminds me of in, most people that grew up in before the 20th century, <laughs> <laughs> which is really weird to say, like, 30-plus years ago. We had a thing... Before the 21st century. Yeah, before... Oh, the 21st century, that's right. <laughs> See, I, I, I'm getting old and losing my, <laughs> my sanity here. Um, no, but a lot of us remember uh, the Cold War. You know, our, basically we were just standing toe-to-toe against Russia at the time. And it was about nuclear presence. It was the concept of mutual destruction because if one of us launched, it was guaranteed the other was going to launch, and then next thing you know, everybody's launching nuclear weapons. But it was, it was like kind of like a scare tactic almost, but it was a very interesting scare tactic that both sides, being superpowers at the time, knowing that they can destroy each other, didn't. But it was like a peace through uh, inevitable destruction. It was like a forced peace that, right. you know, and here we're, what we're reading with Paul is we have to be able to lead in peace and try to prevent war, <laughs> but we need to be prepared for the battle if it comes to our doorstep. Uh, it's it's kind of like the I think you and I have talked about this before about um, letting like your weaponry rust and mm-hmm. all that you're not polishing it you're not taking care of it you're not keeping you know, all the joints oiled instead you're just letting it sit in the corner because you're not preparing yourself you may be in a peaceful situation you may not have any struggles but you know any good soldier will always keep their armor and their weaponry clean and prepped because there's always that potential that they need to use it well as I, you and I both learned when we were being trained in the military. Um, we were given a service rifle, whether it was an M16 or an M4, and they're actually very sensitive, you know, to uh, to debris. Mm-hmm. And if you do not keep it clean and lubed and, you know, make sure your action is free, make sure your magazine is free, make sure your barrel is clean, you know, uh, you're, you're setting yourself up to have an, uh, a weapon malfunction at a very inopportune time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, if you're in the middle of a firefight and all of a sudden there's no fire, well, you know, uh, the enemies might have been maintaining their weaponry. <laughs> and so, uh, 
you're temporarily out of the fight, which not only is a problem for you, but it's a problem for the rest of your unit also. It's it's interesting that, you know, as we're looking at this, preparing ourselves, you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, making sure that you're ready. You don't you don't go camping without putting stuff in, in your crate or in your in your vehicle so that, you know, when you get out there you aren't like going, Okay, I have all these cans of food but I have no can opener kind of situation. You wanna be prepared. You wanna know what you have and what you're doing and how you're doing it. And that's kind of the same thing that Paul is telling us here is that you know, we need to have our our armor, which is provided by God, as we enter this world. We may not have to use it, you know, which is always a preferable thing that we don't use our weapons, but we need to know how to use them. We need to know what their purpose is and why we're donning them. And, you know, if you're out there and you're not purposely trying to attack anybody, that's a different story. But here what we're trying to do is we're not out to attack, but we're just prepared in case we are attacked. We're out there just to set order and peace. And well, Je- Jesus promised us we would be attacked. Yeah, you know, uh, there's there's two different types of peace. There's internal peace, and then there's external peace. But as far in this topic of warfare, um. I don't know how things were when when you served and when you got out, but when I got out, uh, I was living in the Phoenix area at the time, and the university out there was having uh, a student protest on the war. Two things. Number one, people asked me if that bothered me, at being somebody that had just uh, enlisted in honor in and served. I said, no, I'm I served to give them the right to do exactly what they're doing. They're organized a peaceful protest. They're not causing any issues. They're organized. They're not, not in people's way. Let them say what they um, have their opinion. Do I have to agree with them? No, but I do support their constitutional right to do what they're doing. Um, but the difference of opinion comes from a different understanding that as much as I don't want to leave my family and go to war. Somebody wants to fight me whether I'm willing to f- fight back or not. Mm-hmm. So I might as well take the fight to them until they decide they don't want to fight anymore, and then we can have peace. But if only one side of this conflict w- is wanting peace, there is still conflict. Yes. Just lost my train of thought for a second. <laughs> I was thinking you said there were two types of peace, but there's also the peace that God gives us, which is the that's peace that passes all understanding. That's the in, that's the internal peace. Yeah, which is definitely needed if you're going to be you know entering situations, and it, it's actually kind of interesting because it talks about that exact thing later on in the lesson about having that peace. Um, it's it's important that we have that because you don't want somebody. And I've seen it in the military. I'm pretty sure you've seen it. There's always that one guy who's a hothead. The last person you want to give any kind of armory, any kind of weaponry, anything to, because you know... He's going to cause problems. He's going to cause problems. And... I had that in the, when I was law enforcement also. Yeah. And usually what happens to those guys, they get either pushed back in boot to the next division, hoping right. that... Recircle, know, recirculated. Yeah. Or sometimes... 
chaptered out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it, it, there's a purpose for that. There's a reason why we identify it, and it actually goes into the very next lesson, which is talking about a church, a unified army. As as we've heard, there's in the first lesson, you know, there was a unified army, which was the church that is set in place in order to prepare themselves for peace, but also the inevitable war that is to come, the spiritual battle that's to come, that we need to be prepared for it. And I want to read this first part. It says, Victory in Greek and Roman warfare was dependent on the cooperation of the soldiers and a military unit, and especially in their support for each other in the heat of battle. We have a thing called battle buddies. It's the, it's you're relying on the person next to you in a combat situation. Right. And, you know, a good example of what it means of a unified army is we look at the, the Battle of 300, you know, the Spartans against the, the Persians. It was the Persians had amassed a huge amount of forces, and they were taking on 300 very well-trained and disciplined Spartan soldiers. And when you look at it, what happened in history, these Spartan soldiers took out thousands and thousands of men, and they moved as one, just one body. It actually um, took a lot of the fighting spirit out of the Persian army. Yeah. You know, which is, I mean, amazing. You're talking of a force of close to a million against 300. <laughs> and they were holding their own for a for d- while. Days. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, it really shows the importance of a unit. And that's why they call them units. Mm-hmm. It's a unity among these military personnel, whether it's Navy, sailors, whatever, Marines. There's a purpose to having a unit because you don't want to be in a situation where everybody's doing their own thing. And we've seen it in combat. If you look at the, the American Revolution, when the United States declared its independence from, from the king and from the UK and said, no, we are our own. You guys do your thing. We're going to do our thing. A lot of these men were farmers. They were, uh, they were just everyday people. Some of them did have a lot of experience, especially those that were here during the uh, the French-Indian War, um, during a bunch of the campaigns that were happening when England was trying to take more land in the United States and they were trying to take land in the UK and all that. During that time, a lot of these men were soldiers. They Basically, you had to serve at some point. Um, and... What was very interesting was when you look at the Revolutionary War, you did have your military units that were structured that were exactly like um, the British. They were fighting the same style. Some say it was more honorable than what was going on, but you also had a lot of these farmers, these uh, blacksmiths and things that did understand combat, did understand what it was like to be in a military uh, order and falling in rank and all this stuff. But they were taking that experience and they were utilizing their knowledge in order to attack their enemy, which was pretty strict on how they function and how they operated. So what we're seeing here is we saw these small teams, these small groups of militia that were banding together, that were working as one, going against a much bigger force. And it was the same thing as with the Spartans. It was... They were well-trained. They understood the land better than 
the British did that were coming in, they understood, you know, like every creek, every dirt path, every hunting trail, you know, they were well prepared and they were able to operate in such a way. This is what we're seeing here. And what it's talking about is that we need to be able to be unified in the church when it comes to spiritual warfare. We need to know what ground we're fighting on. You know, we don't want to be in one of the situations where it's like the Persians or the British where they were coming in, had no idea of how the lay of the land was and struggling because they didn't know every detail. They didn't know what they were fighting against. But you had these militias in the 300 that knew what they were doing. And that's what Paul is saying we need to be as. We need to be as this unit, this this force of God that can go forward and accomplish whatever mission is put in front of them. Um, you know, I, I'm, I don't know what they, uh, how they addressed uh, you in the Navy when, when you were uh, in basic or in boot camp. Um, I know in, both in the Army and in the, the Marine Corps, uh, you're a recruit until you graduate. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're not given that title until you've earned it. Yep. You know, you don't you can't just put an army or, or some armor on somebody and give them a sword and a spear and call them a soldier. You know, they are still whatever they were before you put an armor. <laughs> they may be well armed, but they don't. They're not. They're not a soldier until they've gone through the training. And, and earned the right to the title. Yeah. And it, it's good that you pointed that out because, you know, there has to be training. There has to be some kind of understanding of what you're doing. And it says, you know, the, when Paul is talking about this military understanding, it's, you know, addressing the church's shared battle. Right. And when you're in boot camp, we were recruits too. You know, you had to go through the whole thing, and then at the end when you did your, you know, your final uh, event – then and you're you can, a sailor. Yeah, you get to put on the Navy hat. and But here, what it's saying is the same thing. We need to be trained. We need to have that knowledge. We need to have the understanding of what our mission is and why we're a unit. And here Paul is saying, and I, I highlighted some stuff in my, my thing. He goes, there are three things in here that are important. The passage that Paul's talking about in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, the passage is the climax of a letter that is all about the church. It would be strange for Paul to conclude his letter with a picture of a lone Christian warrior doing battle against the foes of darkness. You don't want to be by yourself. Right. Unless you're a Navy SEAL, and then that's a completely different story. And but even they are they have 100% unit. Yeah. They rely on the man next to them. Yeah, it's, it's a smaller unit and very. a team. But they, I mean, but they do everything together. Yeah, and I and sometimes for the rest of their life, those bo- those bonds are unbreakable. Oh yeah, and it's pretty much the same thing for any military person. You know, it you go into a VFW or you go into a uh, a veterans event or something, and you run into another veteran, you run into somebody that has gone through basically the same stuff you've gone through. There's already that innate connection that you have, right? And it's. And I've seen it so many times, like, veterans can just sit down with another veteran and just start talking like they're best friends. Like, they they know. It's this inherent understanding. And it's basically the same thing that, that Paul is saying here, that you're not in this fight alone. 
you need to be part of the unit. And that unit here for us is this church. And we're going to get into a little bit more in that in a minute. But, you know, I want to continue with this. It says, at the end of the passage, Paul highlights Christian camaraderie in his call to prayer for all the saints. Again, same thing as a veteran. Once you're served, you've served. And it doesn't matter where you're at in your life. You have comrades. You have people that connect with you. Because, again, it's that shared experience, that shared knowledge, that shared understanding. And continues, it says, Most significant of all, earlier in the letter when Paul discusses the powers of evil, he places them over against the church, not the individual believers, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What he's saying is, again, it goes back to that first part, you are not alone. But when you speak, when you act, when you do what you need to do, you should be doing it as a single unit. And that's what he's saying to the church. The actions we take, we need to take as one, not Robert doing his own thing somewhere and Nick doing his own thing somewhere and Jessica looking around going, okay, I'm going to go do that thing and everybody trying to do something different. You know, that, But that all comes into submit everybody submitting to the will of God. So we're all, that's the common ground. You know, it's not everybody saying, well, I think this is a good idea. Well, I think this is a good idea. Well, maybe we'll go with this guy's idea. No, everybody needs to put our own ideals to the side and follow God because that's going to be the common ground that we we all need to be familiar with that we're going to stand on. Mm -hmm. And he continues, he talks about, you know, again, that lonely warrior confronting evil instead of, Paul, as a general, addresses the church as an army. We're all in this shared battle against spiritual evil. But he also wants us to understand why he is talking about the church as being one, because it's mentioned so many times that, you know, the church is the body of Christ. You know, we we represent Christ. We are his. We're his army. Yeah, and then it continues with like the building, the temple of God, and the bride of Christ, the church as the army of the living God. And you know, it's it's something we need to keep in our minds when we are out here, we are in church, and we are doing things, and we're trying to accomplish the mission God has set for us. Is that you know, we all have a purpose, we all have a reason for being here, but it's God and Christ which is our, our commonality. It's the thing we share. You know, much like a veteran shares with another veteran, both the fact that they served, they've gone through, you know, situations or combat or something. The same at the church. We all share that commonality that we want to serve God, that we want to be part of his army, that we want to serve him. So we need to keep that in mind, especially when we're talking with other people, that we, you know, we show a unified front that I'm not saying one thing contrary to what the church is saying. Right. And trust trust me on this, that is something that has been of contention, especially in any church you look at. You know, there's always somebody who presents a message that should not be presented because it's not a shared common doctrine or common or shared belief or something. It's It's personal. personal. It's contrary. It's not part of what needs to be part of the church. Now, 
this is where we're starting getting into some of the actual armor. Um, we're going to be starting with the belt and breastplate. And I've, I'm a cosplayer. I've made my own <laughs> armor. I've worn it to the church for children's story. I that have was shown. Cool. You it's brought it when you did your sermon. Yep. Yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> it, it, it was, uh, it's interesting trying to put it all on and try to understand it because you look at the belt and the belt, this one actually you had to look up a little bit because of what it's talking about here. Um, it gives more of information, more uh, purpose context and of what the actual belt is that the soldiers wore. Because what the image that Paul is using is the image of what everybody at that time understood a soldier was. And it right. was one of the Roman soldiers wearing the full, uh, the greaves, wearing the helmet, wearing like this huge lorica, which I have worn and it's not fun. But, you know, there's, this is the imagery that he's using. So when he's trying to explain this, he starts with the belt. Now, the belt is very purposeful. And this is something that, as I was reading this, that really caught me, you know, I guess you could say caught me unaware on it because I didn't have a full understanding of it. But Paul describes the action of putting on the belt as girding up one's waist. You know, the belt was an ancient loose-fitting garment that needed to be tied around the waist before work or battle. Now, as I was reading about this, the way he describes it and the way it's described in this lesson and talked about is how it ties together. And I think when you look at all the armor, if you're missing one piece of the armor, you don't have the full set. But the belt being the first thing you don before you put on everything else served the purpose of being able to hold everything together. And it was such an interesting way of looking at how the spiritual armor is that the belt holds everything. You know, it holds the sheath for your sword. It honestly, it's a belt that holds your pants up too. You, know, you don't want to go anywhere without it. Well, if it's a, a they wore robes, you know, a loose fitting garment. If you go into combat with loose fitting, uh, something's going to get in your way and inhibit movement that is going to, you know, make war, you know, your, your, uh, it's going to impede your ability to use your other wet, your, your shield, oh, your yeah. sword, uh, it, because it's going to get in your way. So not only does it tie everything together and, you know, hold the, your, your, your sword, but it also keeps the rest of your, you know, your oh, your, yeah. your tunic that's underneath out of your way, so you can be you can function. And like I was saying, you know, just as that, you know, it, it does say that it was meant to hold things in place. Um, and I've worn a tunic, you know, especially wearing that armor. That the first thing you put on was the was the belt because it again it keeps everything where it needs to stay. And you know, the other thing that was interesting about it too is. It's one of the most visually impactive items that you're wearing because for soldiers, they didn't wear rank on their shoulders or anything like that. It was something that had to be super visible from a long distance. And the lesson here is telling us that the apron, the belt part, had all these metal discs on it. And these metal discs represented what rank you were. 
where your position was. So for us, this is a visual element that we show the world of who we are, where we stand in God's army. And it's important for us to be wearing it because, again, you know, we don't want our stuff just flying all over the place and being all loose. But at the same time, we want to show presence. We want to show where we stand, you know, that we are part of God's army. And it says, you know, truth is not the believer's own. It is a gift of God. It is not, though, to remain abstract or distant assets throughout or without any transforming impact in our lives. They are to put on God's truth to experience and use this divine gift. They do not much possess God's truth as God's truth possesses and protects them. You know, that's, that's actually really, really a beautiful thing when you think about it, that you're not living by your own truth. You're living by the truth of God. And that, you know, God's truth is what gives us the ability to tie the rest of the armor together. If everybody lives by their own truth, what do you have? The chaos that's in society right now. Because yeah. society has the object, objective truth mentality that your truth is different than my truth. And you have complete discord and chaos, which is the opposite, opposite of a functioning uh, structured unit. Yeah. Strange question. Good. When you said the two parts to the belt when they connect, it made me think of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Is that kind of uh, is that purposely a symbology, or is that just popped in my head for no reason? <laughs> like, I, does that make sense? Uh, <laughs> for uh, for Paul in his day, I would say um, probably not that there was no New Testament. There was no New Testament. Yeah. But I would say, the you know you could say the law and the prophets, you know, okay. the you know. But uh, but it's it's encompassing everything and bringing it into unity under one. Actually, I, I kind of do like that. Yeah, that look at it, you know. No, I'm I'm saying if <laughs> if there was a new and old testament. You know, Paul wouldn't disagree with you. I'm just saying oh, yeah. there wasn't, and he was in the process of writing most of the New Testament yeah. at this time. Um, he was a player in the Testament. So, <laughs> so um, but you know, everything hangs on the law and the prophets, yeah. whether it's the New or the Old Testament. Um, but I would say yes, it's a that would be a pretty good analogy. No, I, I think it, it. See, this is what's beautiful about you know having discussions and trying to learn and understand this stuff is that, you know, insight that someone has into understanding it, you know, definitely opens up eyes. Cause I'd never thought about that, you know, for us today, what that means, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, it's the belt of truth, right? You know, you can't have truth without the whole truth. And I'm probably going to quote a movie, the whole truth and nothing but <laughs> the, the truth. truth. <laughs> but you know, I'm pretty sure I can handle the truth. <laughs> but, no, it, it does make sense that if you're only living by one half of, the, of God's word, you can't hold, you can't hold the, anything everything together. together. But you need both. And that is, that is a really good analogy of trying to understand <laughs> that. I like that. Um, no, <laughs> no, but it, it really does make sense, though, when you look at how everything else ties together. You know, you have to start with the truth. 
if you don't have a good grasp on the truth, and we all know the truth is in the word, if you don't have a grasp of that, then nothing you put on is going to hold together. Well, it's like you said, too. It's the first thing you do. It's the first thing you should do in the morning is read God's word, you know, read the truth. Yeah. So from there, Paul is telling us that the next thing that we need to be putting on is the breastplate uh, of righteousness. Some of these words, when you try to say it fast, it gets stuck. <laughs> and it says, like the belt of truth, it is of divine origin, being part of the armor of Yahweh in the role as the divine warrior. The body armor used by soldiers in Paul day was made of mail, small intertwined iron rings, small armor, or scale armor, small overlapping scales of bronze or iron, or bands of overlapping iron fastened together. This body armor or breastplate protected the vital organs from the blows and thrusts of the enemy in an analogous way. Believers are to experience the spiritual protection offered by God's protective gift of righteousness. If you're living through God and you're living by God's word, you have, and we all know the word is right, it's correct. If you're living by that, you're living through righteousness, you're living by righteousness, and because of the disciplines that are in God's word, you know, we have the Ten Commandments, you know, if we're living by those, we're living a righteous life. If we're following the life of Christ, we're following a righteous life. If we're doing anything contrary to that, we're trying to do something that's not in Scripture, we're going to fall fall victim to it. And again, it goes back to that thing, you know, it's actually the whole talk about scale it brings up the idea that you're only as strong as your weakest link. Same with your armor. If your armor has a weakness to it, it's going to get exploited. Yeah. You know, Look at Achilles. Achilles had the whole issue with his tendon <laughs> on right. his ankle. You know, that's why we call it the Achilles tendon. You know, he was he was dipped into the river sticks. Into the river sticks, and the only thing that wasn't his mother was holding him by his heel. By his heel. So what happened? It that was an unprotected his part. Exactly. And it's the same thing with us. If we aren't familiar with the word, or we're weak in the word or we're weak in our own lives by doing something contrary to what is asked for by God, we're just adding weaknesses to this armor. And the breastplate protects a lot of vital organs. You know, it, it protects your heart, which is the key in this. You know, if you're, if you're trying to live by righteousness, you're trying to protect your heart from wickedness, from evil, from temptation. And the only way to do that is to cover yourself in the righteousness of God. And that's basically having an understanding of what of what the word is and how you should live your life and how to prevent yourself from being put in situations where temptation could affect you or take you away from that. Mm-hmm. And as we're continuing, we're going to be looking next at the shoes, which the, it's called shoes, the church wages peace. You know, the whole point of a soldier having well-fitted shoes or sandals at this time is what Paul's describing, is its ability to make sure you have proper traction. That's what we use shoes for. We have shoes for all kinds of different things. We have running shoes for running. We have hiking shoes for hiking. We have stilettos if we want to look fancy. Yeah. <laughs> but we have shoes have a purpose, and the biggest thing is that it gives you traction and the ability to stand your ground as it says here you know it gives you the ability to to hold your 
your place. And if you're somebody who goes hiking, do you want to be wearing dress shoes to go hiking in? No. No. Because most dress shoes have, what, a smooth leather bottom, and the point is to be quiet, to be soft. And if you're somebody who's standing on the pulpit, you don't want to be wearing combat boots up there because you'll be loud. <laughs> dress shoes serve a certain purpose. You don't want to use them for hiking. Instead, for hiking, you want to use boots, something that has grip, that has a proper texture on the bottom of it so that as you're climbing, you're going through tall grass, you're going through dirt, mud, whatever, you're able to traverse it with no issues. And it's the same when you look at the sandals themselves, or the shoes in this case. It says, Messenger brings the news that Yahweh's battle on behalf of his people is won, and peace now reigns. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. It's, it's the same thing. When you're trying to bring peace, you don't want anything to kind of push you back because it could put you in a, conf- a conflict. It could put you in a situation you didn't want to be in. But if you have the shoes given to you or the sandals provided to you by God and you're holding on to those, those are going to keep you in your place. They're going to keep you grounded, basically. Um, any thoughts on that? Well, it's also called, you know, the preparation, the, the preparation of the gospel. You know, so, and the waging peace, you know, we, you know, we mentioned at the beginning, you know, the, to have peace, prepare for battle. And in order, uh, the gospel isn't about the spiritual warfare. The gospel is about the peace that you achieve at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, so I standing, you know, standing firm in the knowledge of that peace kind of makes everything else worth it. If that kind of, if that makes sense, because you know, if all you have is conflict, 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 conflict with no peace at the end, what's all the conflict for? And you kind of lose heart. Yeah. So I think having that preparation of the gospel of peace, I think that um, that knowing that this conflict isn't going to last forever, that God is going to bring this great controversy to an end, yeah. and that we will enjoy the peace with him, that uh, I think that encourages you uh, to continue in, in the battle to come. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when Paul is talking about this, he wants to make sure people understand that, you know, when he speaks of the spiritual armor and preparing yourself for combat, you know, it's he's not asking us to, you know, it says here, Paul, however, does not wish us to understand his call to arms as a call to take up military weapons against our enemies. Right. You know, it, I can't remember. Was it Roosevelt who said, "You know, speak softly but carry a big stick." Theodore, Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore yeah. Roosevelt. Yeah, it it's the same thing. It's you know, it's presence, but don't go out there and start conflict. Don't go out there and you know, try to try to be a soldier when you don't have to be a soldier. That kind of goes back to what I was talking about with. Uh, well, you mentioned people in our military service, you know, that you didn't want to, 
get give weapons to because they were always you know. But I also served with officers who, if you were in uh, a tense situation, this guy is the last one you want to show up because he has a talent of making bad situations worse. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need uh, just because you know you carry a weapon just because you carry something. Yeah, you're trained, but you're hoping, you know, and praying that you never have to use it. Yep. But it's there in case the need arises instead of those that are trying to create the need to use, you know, so. So what I'm hearing from both of you is you have these um, tools or armor. Oh, so what I'm hearing (laughs) from both of you is that you have these tools or armor, but it's not because you're puffed up and you're, hey, look at me, I'm, I have all this stuff. It's You have this um, training and these tools, and you have peace because you you know how to use it, and you're safe. You don't have to worry about, um, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for, enemies confronting you because if it should happen, if anything should happen, you can defend yourself or you can protect your family, right. but you're not out there saying, hey, look at me, I'm carrying... Uh, some uh, sword, or I don't know what, a gun, you know. You're not out there picking fights with everyone. You just have this peace because you have that armor. You have that protection. You have the ability to, to do what needs right. to be done, not the desire. Yeah. You know, that they say, you know, the uh, the only, thi- the only thing that uh, that will stop evil people is good people skilled in violence, you know? Yeah. Just because they have the skills is not like you said. They're they're not a bully. They're not out there, you know yeah. out there um, trying to Except, prove how yeah. how competent they are in their skills. I have this set of skills, and like I mentioned, you know, I pray to God that I never have to use it, but I know that I'm confident in, in these skills if the need ever arises. Yeah. And it's, and it's just here too. It's it's interesting that you know, you know, Paul is really emphasizing the the peace part of this, you know, and it's not just it's not just our actions; it's our words as well. Mm-hmm. And this is what Paul is really trying to convey to people. It's like as he's talking about this spiritual armor, it's it's you having a trust and faith in the Word of God that you're not relying on your own intuitions, your own beliefs, your own ideas, but you're putting your faith and trust in what God has established. And he really hearkens on the idea that it's like Christ didn't come to be combative. And this is one of the bigger things because you know when they were talking about the prophecy of the Messiah, the idea that people had was that the Messiah would come and he would fight the right. Romans that he would fight and destroy the enemies of of the Jewish people. That was their belief and it was a misinterpretation of that that prophecy that and Christ even said talked about that you know I came here to fulfill my father's wishes. I didn't come here to you know fight the Romans or anything like that. But I came here to you know help combat sin. That was the mission. It was to take on sin and to eliminate sin. And Paul is telling the Ephesians, he goes, if you have 
this armor of God on. It means you have a knowledge of God. You have an understanding of God. You know what the truth is. You know what to do with this armor. But you're not out there wearing it, walking down the street, beating people in the head with it. Right. That kind of leans us right into Wednesday about the, the shield, the helmet and sword. We talked a little bit about the, the shield and the sword last week. Yeah. Um, that you can't always, that the shield is necessary, but you can't always just stand behind the shield. Sometimes, you know, the pointy end of the sword has to come out if you're ever going to advance any ground. Um, but that first question there on Wednesday's lesson, when and how should believers as combatants in the great controversy use the shield, helmet, and sword? And when, even as a defensive soldier, if you're truly waiting until you're under attack, you do have to eventually go on the offense to end the affront against you. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, with, with the, the sword of the spirit, you know, if you're not, um, if you don't have it and you're not willing to use it, and, you know, Jesus also said, you know, I came not to bring peace but a sword. And then further in the New Testament, you know, he says uh, that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, rightly dividing the word of truth. Not because we wish there to be division, but truth, you know, and the and the sword of the Spirit, which go hand in hand, the word of God is truth also, that it's, it's decisive. If you accept it, you're on one side. If you reject it, you're on the other, and you cannot bring those two together. Yep. You know, so it the what Jesus didn't want to create division. What he's saying is, when you present truth, there will be division by whether you people choose to accept or reject. Yeah, and it it ties back into the, the belt of truth. Again, you can't carry the sword, sword of the without, spirit without, without the, the truth. truth. Right. And oh. I, I was just going to say, we we have to remember, like Jesus, he came to share the truth. He was the truth. And he was loving and kind. Like we said a while ago, he wasn't, you know, beating people over the head with the truth. He actually mostly healed people. He was showing them compassion. That's how we should be. I, I'm not going to disagree with that at all. And, and you and I have had a couple discussions on that also, that if you do not have that gift of the Spirit, you need to stay off out of that part of it. That yep. is not your area of expertise because there are people in this church and other churches, you know, that with good intentions... They will bring something up, but they cause ca- but they cause damage instead, and um, but what I'm saying is, you still need to be absolutely firm on your truth when you present it, right? And people have to make a decision. Yeah, you know, uh, God ha- forgives sin, but He does not condone sin. 
you know, he offers you a way out. And if you, and just with truth, like I said, if it needs to be presented in love, but there are going to be those that accept it and those that are rejected. And that causes division. It causes division in churches. It causes division in families. When one person chooses, regardless of what may come, to completely hold on to the truth that's presented to them, sometimes even your family members reject you because of the, the stand that you've made. Mm-hmm. But when I present something that I understand to be sound biblical truth, somebody may disagree with me and that may cause a rift. That was not my intention. My intention was to share and hopefully bring everything together in unity. But But maybe just let the Holy Spirit work on them, you know, because it's not up to us. But there are people that are going to reject the Holy Spirit and and that is going to cause cause division. And as you were saying, you know, about, you know, you're, your family, friends, neighbors, coworkers may may begin to challenge you and all this. You know, this is where the shield of faith really comes into play. Yeah. You know, and I love how it gives some history. I, I love the history part, and you know, <laughs> it's it's always really interesting to know about. But you know, the Roman soldiers, the shields were made out of leather and wood. And anybody who knows wood, you put it in water, it swells. Right. You know, it soaks in that water, and it's becomes moist, and I hate that word, moist. <laughs> but, you know, here it's talking about the fiery darts. Those fiery darts are the words and actions of, you know, family, friends. They may not be enemies, but they are taking on the actions of the enemy. Exactly. And they are attacking you. So you use the shield of faith, and this is your trust and your understanding and your, your ability to hold on to the word of God that you're using the shield of faith in front of you to keep these darts from hitting you, to, to distinct, extinguish the flames, you know, which is one of the more interesting things about these shields, you know, is that as they were wet, fiery darts shooting at you, the dart hits the shield, you would think, being wood, it would go up in flames, but because it's soaked and you trust and have faith that that water in your shield is going to extinguish those darts... They will. Those darts will just go out and you just break the arrow and move forward. And this is what's really important for us because we need to have that confidence in God. We need to have that trust. And that is one of the hardest things for a lot of people to do is to trust anybody else besides themselves. And as a soldier, again, we bring that up again. When you're in, you're in the pit, you're in, you know, one of those, those situations, you have to put your trust in the person's, next to you that if something goes down you get hurt you get injured that they got you well you brought up the term that we're both very familiar with her earlier battle buddy yeah and you know news media at home whoever you know they're like oh these soldiers you know they're going over and they're fighting for god and country and blah 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 blah. and every one that comes that might have even been in their head when they left but everybody, when they come home, well, why did you? Well, because they're trying to kill the guy standing next to me. That's why I fought. <laughs> you know, uh, they're trying to f- kill my battle buddy. Yeah. And uh, so, and then, and it brings that sense of camaraderie, you know, together that you can 100% lean on somebody and trust them with your life, literally. Um, 
and it creates a bond and the church should have that same bond. Yes. Like a family. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's, right. you know, you go into certain situations that, you know, outside people have no idea what's going on or what you're talking about. And the military personnel have inside jokes that only military personnel understand. It's, but it's based on this mutual understanding, this mutual camaraderie, this, uh, these experiences that most people will never have in their entire lives. And it's, you know, I can bring up something that I've experienced with another veteran and they understand exactly where I'm coming from. You know, certain terminologies, certain ways of addressing things, how we, our mannerisms are. I remember going through boot camp and one of the biggest things I had to learn quickly was to eat fast because you got a very small time table to actually sit down, drink your drink, eat your food. If it's a good day for snacks, (laughs) desserts, eat your dessert. And you had to do it within like five minutes. Well, we had time because we ate as a unit also. Yeah. Everybody got their and it wasn't until the last person in yep. line got to the table that we were allowed to sit down. But if that last person in line messed up oh. and went by the NCO table with a dessert on, in the Army, we desserts were there, but it was not a good idea to, to partake. They were just visual. <laughs> That's all they were. <laughs> and um, I'll use an example. You know, one of the guys, in our, and it's literally the last guy in our line, the first thing the drill sergeants noticed is he had more bread on his plate th- than he should. And, you know, they watch what you eat, even though, they're, like I said, there's things out on the table. It's just you should know better, <laughs> you yeah. know, bad calories in, bad calories out. We'll just say that. Yeah. And, well, the as he went by the NCO table, one of the drill sergeants reached over and grabbed uh, some of the bread and he had two desserts hidden underneath the bread. Oh, no. What was the next words out of that drill sergeant's mouth? We we didn't eat. We dumped our trays, and we went out and got smoked. Yep. You know. Uh, we used and, to call it make it rain. <laughs> and oh. it, but it, it, <laughs> and we, we went to the pit, to the mud pit, and we did front back goes, and we did combat drills, and we did until, you know, um, but it was for a purpose. Mm-hmm. It was not just, you know, them being, uh, um, I, I have a thought. This is not, I'm not sure if it's relevant or not. I've never <laughs> been to war, but I work with three-year-olds. I have 16 You've been of them to war. <laughs> in my classroom and I have to be very united with my co-teacher. Um, right now we have, uh, several children that are hitting biting and we have to have a plan before those kids even walk into the classroom we have to be you know we have to have our armor on just just as much as a soldier does you know and we have to um you know we we give each other looks like we talk to each other without talking to each other you know depending on what's going on in in that classroom during that day if i have one particular kid he just kind of hits out of nowhere <laughs> and or bites and so one of us is constantly following this kid you know and if one of us needs if I need to move away I do some kind of wave at her and I point because I don't want the other people the other kids in there to know um, so I think that 
I, I mean, I understand you guys have been soldiers, but we all have been, you know, in in our own way. There's different. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Our battlefields are all different. Yes, our ba- <laughs> Thank you. We're, they're all different, and they, yeah, they can be um, anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I I kind of I mean we're kind of stretching this out a little bit more than we would normally, which is fine. But uh, I do have a Bible study coming up here. Uh, soon yeah um i do i want to move on to the the helmet and i was kind of reading ahead here where it talks about putting on the helmet of salvation means to reject the fear of spiritual powers so common in the time and instead trust in supreme power of christ um i also want to kind of add to that that when you're putting on you're protecting your brain. Yeah. And Paul wrote, uh, you know, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things, you know, are beautiful, whatsoever, you know, if they bring any glory, if they bring any praise, think on these things. And it's um, using scripture or uh, righteousness or anything else, filling your head with these thoughts to and really that protects you from a lot of the outside influence of you know whether it's visual or audio or um, any sensory uh, sin that is being thrust at yeah. you. If you're focusing on on these other things, uh, that's putting on that helmet which is keeping the, those things at bay, keeping them out of, out of your head. Um, you know, kind of like what I talked about in that children's story about, on happiness. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're only seeking your own happiness, you're always going to fail. Yes. But if, um, if you're out to fulfill somebody else's happiness and everybody else is out to fulfill your happiness, then everybody, you know, that gets to experience the joy and the happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that kind of goes along with uh, putting on that helmet of salvation is, you know, how are you protecting your head and your thoughts and your eyes? And, you know, because the helmet had a visor on it too, yeah. you know, to protect protect the eyes. Um, uh, how, are, how are you protecting what's going into your head? Mm-hmm. And what's coming out. And what's coming out. Yeah. And, and this... This is the the armor that we're all aware of that we find in Ephesians, but there's one last piece that, you know, I want to mention, and it's very, very important. And it goes back into the lines of keeping your armor well-maintained. And in order to do that, you have to have prayer. All prayer. It's got to be through prayer. You know, you cannot maintain anything in your life without prayer. Right. You know, your understanding, your connection to God, you know, your ability to put on the armor, your ability to wear the armor, your ability to utilize the armor can only be done when you have that relationship established with God through prayer. Right. And that, you know, right there in verse 18, you know, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Um, you know, that, that prayer and supplication in the spirit that you're submitting yourself to and then watching there unto with all perseverance. 
which kind of goes back into my sermon from a couple of weeks ago of, you know, don't not growing weary and well doing, yep. you know, that perseverance that, uh, and I said, you know, a lot of places where you see the word patience, trying what putting the word perseverance there and not just that idle patience where you're just sitting and waiting, but where you're actively waiting, yep. you know, and, and um, pushing through to, to the end. With that word, end. I think we are at the end of this lesson, and it's beautiful that it ends on prayer because that's how we end our podcasts. So with that, um, I'll go ahead and I'll go close up, and I appreciate everybody listening and joining us, and we look forward to next week's lesson, which is Ephesians in the Heart. Now this is going to be the last uh, lesson for for this quarter, and then we start the next lesson. But with that, um, I'm going to go ahead and bow our heads, and I'll say a quick prayer. Absolutely. Thank you, Lord, for being here with us today as we're learning how to put on and the purpose of the armor you've provided. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together as as listeners, as learners, as teachers, as just your children to, to understand what you require of us and how we should enter this world and protect ourselves from temptation, from sin, and from the evils that are existing in our lives, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity. We ask for forgiveness for our sins, and we ask you to be with our listeners as they go throughout this week's lesson. We ask all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments about this week's lesson, please go to our podcast page on our website, threeangelssda.org slash podcast. That's the number three, angelssda.org slash podcast, and use the comments section. There, you can listen to any of the previous lessons as well as our other programs. Also, don't forget to subscribe, like, and share this podcast on Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Just search for ABQ Three Angels Podcast. Mm-hmm.